I hear a lot of groaning going on out there. <laughs> well, guys, in the Old Testament, which I know you guys spend a lot of time in, right? Most of you guys really spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. Um, in fact, we actually got preachers out there that say that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament, which is a joke. You can't unhitch from the Old Testament. It's God's Word. It's the foundation for the New Testament. And so in the Old Testament, you had these guys called prophets. And prophets basically were God's messenger to His people. And what they would do is they would take a message that would identify the sin that the people were dealing with in their life. They would warn them about what was going to happen because of that, the consequence. And then they would tell them what godly repentance looked like. Godly repentance, not what we call repentance. If you talk to a lot of people today and ask them what repentance means and what it actually looks like for a lot of people, they wouldn't know. Because what happens with guys especially is I see a lot of guys who are sorrowful over consequences in their life, and they call that repentance. That's not repentance. (laughs) Being upset because you commit adultery, and you're upset because your wife isn't getting over it (laughs) quick enough for you. You said you're sorry, right? Do you know how many times I've had that conversation with guys? You can't dictate the consequences of sin in your life. You can't control the consequences. It's like squeezing a toothpaste tube, it coming out, and you're trying to get it back in there. It's messy. And you can't get it back in there the way it was. I can promise you, there are choices that you will make. Some of you young men listen to this. Even your older guys, but for for sure the young guys. You will make choices in your life. You can't go back and change the consequences of what's going to happen. And that's why your dads, who they love you, they try to tell you, and you think, I know more than him. And, And guys, before we start putting our chest out, we do that with God all the time. I know better than you, God but I don't want you to do this over here, Doug. Yeah, but God, we had a plan and I'm doing this. No, that wasn't the plan. And so the prophets came and they identified the sin. They told them what was going to happen. They warned them. And then they told them what it looked like to repent. And in the Bible, it says true repentance is to love God, love your neighbor, walk humbly with God, take care of widows and orphans, That's what it looks like. And God let His people know all the time, I know where you are. This is why they're in the midst of suffering. I know where you are. I put you there. I haven't forgotten you. I'm disciplining you. And so, the last three prophets of the Old Testament are Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. The last three. And I'm sure you guys have really done deep dive studies of those three. Just like I did before I really prepared for this. It's amazing what you can learn when you read the Bible. 
And you actually start studying. There's so much there. Brad, how many times have we said it's like a multi-faceted diamond? I've been reading the Bible. I've read through the Bible 30 times in my life at least. And I still go through. I've taught through a lot of it. And I still see the same things I've taught. And I go, how did I never see that? You guys ever have that happen? So, in the Old Testament, all these prophets are divided up. You had Elijah and Elisha were prophets during the times of the kings. But then you have like this division of pre-exile where Israel went into exile by God's discipline. Exile and then post-exile. The pre-exile prophets primarily were Amos and Hosea up in the north to Israel and Micah and Isaiah down in the south to Judah. Because remember, Israel was divided. Ten tribes up north, two tribes in the south. You go, does that really matter? Well, yeah, it does. Because you, you see how God relates to them and He talks to them about things. And during exile, while they were in exile, the prophets were Daniel, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah. And, and post-exile, when they came out... And by the way, where did they go to exile? Assyria came in and took the northern tribes out. Babylon, who was the king of Babylon? Nebuchadnezzar. He took the southern part out. And they were in captivity. How long? Seventy years. Do you ever wonder why seventy years? Huh? Well, if you look in the Bible, God tells you why. Do you know that? He actually, 70 years, he, he told them, he said, guys, you need to keep a Sabbath. The Sabbath was the holy day. They didn't do any work on the holy day. And they didn't do it. They stopped doing it. They stopped doing it. And he gave them a year in captivity for every year they didn't keep the Sabbath. 70 years in captivity. The other reason is it takes about 70 years to kill off all the dead, the old guys. It takes about that long for a generation to die out. And so he wanted to start over. That's true. Hey, will God do that to you? Will He put you in a place uh, to get your attention because of His love for you? Maybe he's done that to me. You know what's interesting about the post-exile prophets, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi? You don't see them dealing with the sin of idol worship. You know why? Because they got a belly full of watching it for 70 years in Babylon and Assyria. They saw a people so pagan and worshiping the, the, the wood some of you guys who've been to India with me, remember seeing that big six-story snake god over there? Nothing but wood. People bringing vegetables, bringing money laying down in front of that thing, praying to that snake god, that wood, thinking that's going to change something in their life. Israel didn't struggle with that after being in exile because they got a belly full of it over there. They saw how bad things really are when you worship idols. Their sins that they struggled with in those books that they dealt with were more selfishness, more wrong priorities. And you see it really ramp up to the time of the Pharisees as just outright hypocrisy, saying one thing, doing another. Do we struggle with that? So, 
God took Israel into captivity 70 years. And so you had people in that nation that had never seen Israel. People that were coming out of Babylon that had never seen the temple where God's presence dwelt. And Jeremiah warned them now. Remember, if you read Jeremiah, he said, listen, you're going into exile for 70 years. And he promised to bring them out. He said, I'm going to purify you. I'm going to discipline you. But I'm not going to get rid of you. Because it says in Hebrews, those whom the Lord loves, He what? He disciplines. So, what happened? They're in captivity. How did they get out? Well, there was a political change. The climate change. You see, when they went into exile, Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. But, when they were in captivity, God did a change of leadership. Does He ever do that? God ever get involved in those kind of things? You bet. And a guy named Cyrus took over. The Persians came in. They kicked Nebuchadnezzar's butt, really. And Cyrus was used by God to bring his people back to Israel. This pagan king. This this king of Persia. And God used him. In 538 B.C., He wrote a decree that they would go back. Why? Because he, he didn't want them in captivity. He wanted them working the land, giving tribute. He didn't want to keep them there, so He said, send them back. And do you know what God says in His Word? I bet I didn't know this until I did this study. In Isaiah 45, God calls Cyrus His Messiah. Little m... But the word Messiah means anointed king. Did you know that? That Cyrus was called by God through the prophet Isaiah, my Messiah, his Messiah. And so, he gave the decree. 50,000 Jews left Babylon and came back to Israel. Why didn't they all come back? Well, the Jews were a... They were a survivalist people, right? Some of them made do, figured it out, and they were getting along fine. And they were doing well there, so they decided not to go back. That was kind of a mistake, actually. We got a book called Esther out of that. You guys ever read the book of Esther? In Esther, there was this guy named Haman who wanted to commit genocide and wipe them all out, and he almost did it. But God said, no, I'm not going to let you do that. Do we sometimes do that? Sometimes God wants us to go this way, but you know, we go, I'm doing pretty good over here. I think I'm going to stay here, God. You do that? I do that. But God sent them back. And so, He sent them back, and the people were led by this guy named Zerubbabel, which means born in Babylon. That was, that's what his name meant. Zerubbabel. Say it. Zerubbabel. He was the governor. You see, he was leader, but he wasn't a king. They wouldn't let him use the title king, even though he was in the Davidic line. He was in line of the kings. He was the grandson of a guy named Jehoiachin, who was the son of Jehoiakim, who was the last king there in in Jerusalem. The last king of the southern part of Israel. And so he was the remnant. He was the guy that would ultimately bring us. By the way, if he gets destroyed, that line gets destroyed, what happens to Jesus? What happens to me and you? 
We're all in hell. <laughs> That's what happens. But God preserved it through Zerubbabel. So Zerubbabel led the people out with a guy named Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. And Joshua was the son of the high priest who was the high priest when they led, were led out of Babylon. So God has His team in order. By the way, so you got the king, Zerubbabel, who's a governor by name now. You have the priest, Joshua, and then you got Haggai the prophet. Prophet, priest, and king. You guys know somebody else who's a prophet, priest, and king? Jesus, that's right. And you see that pattern. Okay? And so, now if you were going to send, Jeff, if you were going to send people back to a land that wasn't theirs, what would, what would be the first thing you do when you get in to them? If you, if you were reestablishing a country, what's the first thing you would make sure you had in place? Say it. Say what? Fortification. Fortification. Yeah, fort. A wall. A defensive wall, right? Isn't that on the human level, we would do that. And then the next thing you would do is you would, uh, you would go in and you would want to uh, set up an infrastructure, a political infrastructure, right? Leadership and make sure everything was going to be worked out. And then you'd educate the people. And the last thing you would do is build places of worship. God does it just the opposite. The first thing He says is, I want you to go back. I want you to rebuild the temple. Now think about that. They're going back to a place many of them have never seen. They don't even know what the old temple would look like. And He says, wait, you don't, you don't build a wall first? That we don't want, you know. He said, I want you to go build the temple. Because the reason is, it's pointless to have freedom if you're biblically illiterate. I saw that in Russia. Henry, wouldn't you agree? When the wall came down, they had all this freedom, no moral underpinnings, no spiritual priorities. And it was a disaster. So the first thing God does is rebuilds a temple and then He sends in Ezra later to educate the people in the Word. Well, you know, it's, it, there was a... <laughs> There was a Netflix special not too long ago and they were interviewing criminals and people and it's a documentary. And this guy said this, and I said it, I, I shared it on the radio and at SWAT before. He said, when I was young, nobody locked their doors and everybody went to church. But now, everybody locks their doors and nobody goes to church. And the guy that said it was a serial killer. <laughs> He would know if you locked your doors or not, probably, you know. Isn't that interesting? Do you see that in our culture? Do you see a culture that's gone away from moral and spiritual underpinnings? So Zerubbabel and Joshua lead the people to rebuild the temple. And if you go to Ezra, this is Ezra's where it describes it, the first six chapters of the rebuilding of the wall. But listen, while Israel was in captivity in Babylon, guess what? Other people had moved in. Have you guys been seeing in the newspapers how people are squatting in houses today? They're just moving in. And, and they got more rights than you do to get them out. Yeah. It's crazy. But, but so all these people moved into Israel during this 70-year period. You know who they were? They were the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the Hittites, 
The mosquito bites. All of them. All the bites. The ites. They move in there. And so they're squatting on Israel's land. So here you go. you got Zerubbabel, Joshua, and 50,000 Jews coming back. And they go, hey, Henry, uh, we'd like our land back. You need to leave. How do you think that went over? Not well. <laughs> no. Do you think that caused a problem for them? Do we have a problem today? In the same way. Do you, hey, by the way, do you know what that area is called? Do you know what the Romans called it? Palestine. So you got these Palestinians there. And you got the Israelites fighting over the land. That's still going on today? It's amazing, isn't it? So the Palestinians that were there, we're going to call them, all the, instead of saying all these ites, they wrote the Persian king and said, listen, if you let these Jews rebuild the wall, they're going to rebel against you. They have a history of rebelling. They're not going to pay taxes. And you're going to have all kinds of problems on your hand. So the best thing to do is to shut these people down. You need to shut them down. The best thing to do, shut down the followers of Yahweh. Does that sound familiar? You guys hear that in our culture today? Russia, China, the Middle East, India, Europe, England, Canada, the U.S., the worst thing that can happen in our country is to let these God followers have any kind of influence. Does that sound familiar? Just like in Egypt. The guy who delivered Egypt. Egypt would have all been wiped out by famine. And God brought a God follower to be the one to deliver him. The guy who said, what you intended for harm, God meant for good. This guy helped save the whole country. And it says there arose a king who forgot. He didn't know Joseph. And so he ordered all the God-follower children to be thrown into the Nile River. Can a country that is based on Judeo-Christian values and people who loved Yahweh, who experienced blessing and redemption... Get to a place where it forgets that? Yeah, it can. So, guess what? The king shut them down for 15 years. They stopped building. They started the foundation, but they didn't finish it. And during that time, the people lost their passion to rebuild. They, they were all excited. You guys ever do that? You start something, you're real excited, and then it gets hard. Things get difficult. And you forget why you're there? Can that happen to us? It does. So, guess what? Instead of rebuilding the temple, they go up to Lebanon, they get some of the best trees up there, they bring them back, and they start building townhomes for themselves. That's exactly what happened. They did. They forgot about their commitment. So these young men who were coming back to rebuild, and they were so excited... For God. Can that happen to us? Yeah. We forget why we're here. We forget our God-given mandate, men, to know God and to make Him known. 
to those around us. We get distracted by wealth or we get distracted by discouragement or when things go south because of choices we make even. And so they quit and they decided to indulge themselves. And it says God struck them with famine, with mildew, with drought. And he says, okay, you turn against me, I'll turn against you. That's what you want. Have you ever turned away from God? From his purpose out of discouragement or selfishness and experienced hardship? I have. I certainly have. So during this time, God raised up this guy named Haggai. You know what his name means? Festive. Festival. It wasn't a very festive time when he raised him up, but that wasn't the end of the story. He, he called up this guy, Haggai, and sent him and a guy named Zechariah as a one-two punch. You know what Zechariah means? Yahweh remembers. And so he sent these two prophets to go to these people and say, listen, you've walked away from the wrong king. Don't walk away from Yahweh. Walk away from your own leadership. You don't quit because it gets tough. Just because the political climate changes, because everybody turns against you, you reach out to God and ask for mercy and ask for help. Tell them you're struggling. So the people listened to the prophets. They repented. They recommitted. And they rebuilt the temple. That's what happened. So these two guys that God used had their names inscribed in this holy book so we could learn from them today. That's what I said earlier, what Paul wrote in Romans. For whatever was written to us in the former times was written for our instruction and through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Do we live in a time where we need hope? Do we need encouragement when things go south? Do we need encouragement when we make a bad choice and we experience God's discipline? Do we, do, do we need encouragement to know that God can still use us? Yeah, we do. And so... He sent Haggai to tell him that. Um, so, that's it. That's Haggai. That's it. That's what it was about. But, we're going to look at the verses. We're not going to just go with that. So, open up your Bibles if you have them to Haggai chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to work through it because it's really, this is God's Word to us. I want you to hear what His Word said as we go through it. So we're going to read through this verse by verse and just look at it. Verse 1, in the second year of Darius, I'm sorry, in the second year of Darius, the king, now he was the Persian king in charge, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, isn't that great? When God gets specific, you can tell exactly when it is in history. And he says, the word of the Lord, and in your Bible, you may see Lord capitalized. If it's all capitalized, guys, it's the name Yahweh. That's his name. Came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, 
the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Again, they didn't use the term king. They gave him the title governor. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, he says Lord of hosts 14 times in this book. This two-chapter book, 14 times the word Lord, Yahweh, of host. And you see it in the Old Testament a lot. It's in Genesis, it's in Nehemiah, it's in Psalms, you'll see it, the Lord of hosts. And you know what hosts are? Hosts, plural. It, it, it really is the heavenly powerful armies. Remember when we studied kings, or I referenced kings in one of the teachings in Acts, God used one host, not host plural, one host to wipe out 185,000 troops. So the God who's in charge of all that is named Yahweh. And that's what He's saying here through this. And then notice what He says. He says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people... You notice what he doesn't say? My people. He's talking about his people, but he doesn't refer to them as these people. He says, these people say the time has not come. You see, their excuse is that it's too difficult. So here's this prophet comes to the people of Israel and through a Haggai, and he says, Thus says the Lord, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's too hard, God. We can't do it. You ever said that? I've said it. God, it's too hard. Why didn't you give me all these special needs kids? I can't do this. Why do you stick me with my mother-in-law and all these women in my house? I can't do it. <coughs> And so what do I do? I indulge myself and do whatever I want to do. And that's what they did. Notice what he says. Verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Verse 4. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in the paneled houses while the house, this house, meaning his temple, lies in ruins? Notice the sarcasm of God there. It's time for you to build your townhomes, but you can't build my house. God answers their excuse. You know what it's like, guys? It's like guys who can't get up in the morning and have time in the Word of God, but they can go sit in a deer blind at 4 a.m. I can't get up, man. I just never have enough time to get in the Word. But they can be out there in the deer blind at 4 a.m. They can be at the YMCA hitting the weights at 5 a.m. Or 6.30 for SWAT. I can't get up and come to SWAT at 6.30 in the morning, man. But I can go, I can go shoot a deer. I see it all the time. That's what happens. And you know what God says? He says, it's time. It's time. That's what he tells them. That's the same excuse they're giving, guys. I, I, I remember a guy came up to me one time. He said, Doug, I'm really struggling. I just struggle to spend time with God. 
I, I, I read the Bible, I don't understand it, and I, I guess I'm just not disciplined enough. The problem is not discipline, it's selfishness. It's being self-centered. Like, we can make time for fitness, for golf, for football, for whatever you want to put in there, entertainment, but not God's Word. We, we do what we want to do, guys. We make the choice. And, and to, to call it by any other name than selfishness is just rationalization. And notice what he says in verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, there's that title. This is the most powerful being in the entire universe. And he says, consider your ways. You know what he's saying there? I have, Lori and I went to counseling to keep us from killing one another. Uh, and um, it's always helpful to have a third party perspective um, and I remember he, he would say a lot of times how's that working out for you Doug <laughs> how's that working out for you that's what God's saying here consider your ways how's that working out for you you've forgotten me you've sought yourself you, you sought your own way think about how your life has been working out in Matthew ten thirty nine. Jesus says, he that finds his life will lose it. He that loses his life for my sake will find it. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, it's Christ who lives in me. I have been bought with a price, guys. We've been bought by Him, not to do our own thing and lead our own life. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But you know what we want? We want a Jesus that lets us still be king of our life. That's what we want. And so when we wake up in the morning, we don't consult God. We don't go to His Word. We don't say, God, I'm yours today to you be used however you want me to. We just get up and we make our plans and we do our life. And then when things aren't working out, God, why aren't you blessing me? Why aren't you helping me? Why is it so hard? And He tells them in verse 6 what it's been like. Verse 6, he says, you've sown much and you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourself, but no one's warm. You, he says, he who earns wages does so to put all the money in a bag full of holes. In other words, you got lots of problems. You remember that old song, Against the Wind? <laughs> you're running against the wind. That's what you're doing. Verse 7, thus says the Lord of hosts. Here he is using that title again. Consider your ways. He bookends what he told them. All the bad things is happening. How's that working out for you? Tells them what's going on. How's that working out for you? He says, let's change your priorities. Take your time and energy that you're putting into yourself and your own agenda and put it into my agenda that I'll be glorified. Change your priorities. That's really the problem, guys. Misplaced priorities. Distractions. And we need to change our priorities. Verse 9, he says, You looked for much, and it came to little. And when you brought it home, what does he say? These next four words, what? I blew it away. I blew it away. 
Don't blame other people. Don't blame the weather. Don't blame the bugs. Blame me. I did it. The entire universe is controlled by Yahweh. And he said the entire universe is against you. Can you imagine that, Austin? The entire universe is against you because God wants it that way? I shut down the rain. I shut down the produce. I have all authority, he says. God stands against them. Why? Because their priorities are wrong. Verse 11. He says, I have called for a drought on the land, on the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors, all their work. God's basically saying, I'm going to make everything in your life miserable. How's that working out for you? All of nature obeys Him. So, verse 12, Then it says, Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel and Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And it's Yahweh their God. The people feared the Lord. You know, usually guys, when there's a big spiritual turnaround in your life, it's because a guy responds to God's Word that usually comes through a man. That man comes into your life to say, hey, Brad, this is your problem. You need to turn back to God. So, God used Haggai he used Haggai. He sent Haggai into their life in the same way he tried to send Jeremiah into the lives of the kings and they wouldn't listen. You know what they did to Jeremiah? They beat him. They put him in prison because he kept telling the kings, you got to do this. King, this is what it looks like. You guys ever do that? God sends a guy into your life, Hugo. Hey, Hugo, listen. I, you know, I'm not trying to pry into your business, but man, you say you love Jesus. I've been seeing you you know, do this, and I, I just, I, I want to tell you, I want to warn you, that's probably not the best thing. And then Hugo, Hugo doesn't call me anymore. He pulls away because Hugo doesn't want accountability. That's where guys are at. And, and so, you know what? When guys stop coming to SWAT, and I call them, hey, I've been missing you. Yeah, I know, I'm just too busy. For the last year? You can't even pop in once. You've been you're apart for three years, and now you're just gone. Yeah, I just you know what? Uh, I it just there's a lot of hypocrisy there. I'm like, and can you tell me where there's not? But guys, run. And and and, and Haggai says, guys, your problem is you need to turn back to the Lord. You need to change your priorities. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke. Do you know this is the only place in Scripture where a prophet is called a messenger of Yahweh? They were all messengers of Yahweh, but this is the only place where he says it. This is important. The messenger of Yahweh. Does God ever send guys into your life that you've blown off, guys? They try to tell you something about God, try to tell you about His Word, try to tell you, hey, why don't you come back? 
Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Notice what he says in verse 13. By the way, verse 12, what did they say? Had they done anything yet? No. It said they obeyed, they feared the Lord. This was an attitude. They had not done anything yet. And what does it say in verse 13? He says, He spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I love that. Listen, before they ever did anything, it was an attitude shift. I'm going this way. I don't want to go this way. I want to go that way. I don't know how to go that way. But I'm acknowledging I shouldn't be going this way, Lord. Get me going that way. And they hadn't even done anything. And it says, I'm with you. I love that. His mercy, guys, is as great as His discipline. You know the story of Luke 15, the prodigal? We call it the story of the prodigal. It's really the story of the loving father. The father is looking for the son to return and he sees him a long way off. And when he runs to him, that was, listen, in the Middle East, guys, I'm going to tell you, I've been leading groups over there for nine years. You don't run in the Middle East, especially during this time. You got this garb over you like a sheet. And if you run, your legs stick up. And they looked like Roy's probably back there. 93-year-old, like a stork sitting in some buckshot shells or something, you know? So you don't look, you don't see men running. But he just wanted to see his son come back. When he saw him, this son who had spurned him, he ran to him. Because God was saying, I love you. I want you to come back. Please come back. And I love you so much, I'm going to do whatever it takes to bring you back. But you know what? When you're alienated from your father, my friend Tommy Nelson says you're a dead man walking. You're a dead man walking. And so, verse 14, God says, I'm with you. It says, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. They, they came and they worked on God's house. They gave God the respect He deserved. And guess what? God's work is now their priority. After less than a month of preaching, three weeks of preaching, guys. So we're not talking about having to go through some, you know, transition program where you go back. And by the way, it was immediate. The moment their attitude changed, God said, I'm with you. So why don't we do that? Why don't we say, God, I haven't made you my priority. I want to confess that to you right now. Please change it. Because for a lot of us, we're afraid. There was a guy named uh, Alexander during the reign of Alexander the Great when Alexander the Great was doing his great campaigns. And this guy, little Alexander, young Alexander, like probably 20 years old, ran away in the face of battle. And his commanders took him. They brought him to Alexander to kill him. Because you didn't do that. 
You didn't run away. You don't do it. You, you, you go represent Alexander the Great. You conquer in his name. And if you die, you die. But he was afraid, so he ran. So they brought him to Alexander. By the way, Alexander was a big guy. He's like 6'4", something, 6'5". And they bring this young kid with a death sentence to him. And he says, what, what did you do? And he said, I ran away because I was afraid. <clears throat> he goes, what's your name? He said, Alexander, my parents named me after you. And he said, listen, he let him live. And he says, you need to change your name or you need to change your conduct. There's a lot of people that call themselves Jesus followers who don't have the same priorities that Jesus had. You're not following Jesus if Yahweh is not your priority. Is it possible, guys, to start something with great intentions and passion and then shrink back in the face of difficulty? It's not, a lot of times, it's not terrible moral choices. You know what it is? It's just responsibilities eat away at us. We get tired, we get discouraged. Whenever God's people did that, their blessings ceased. Because whom the Lord loves, that guy, he's going to chasten. He's going to discipline. But you know what he says? He says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. He loves you. And he's, listen, Ephesus left their first love. Laodicea, they left him and they were chastised. And you know what the word that kept coming to him was? Repent, repent, repent. That's why we need Haggai's and Zacharias in our life. He that separates himself, the psalmist said, seeks his own desires. In other words, when you pull away from having accountability, you pull away from people, you end up being the guy who God used to be your number one priority, but now he's about number 31 on your priority list. And they're not happy people because they know what they need to do. And their family usually suffers for it. <clears throat> so what did they have to do? Renew their first love. Repent. Turn. God, I don't want to be this way. I want you to be my priority. God doesn't move away from us. We move away from Him. Where are you at, God? No. We moved away from Him. So as we finish this time, just take a moment. Bow your head with me for a second. <clears throat> and I don't know where you are spiritually. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what kind of problems you're experiencing. But I know this. I know God wants to be your priority. And if He hasn't been, maybe now is a good time to just reflect. And just like Zerubbabel and Joshua and the remnant, Reflect on what God says to you through His Word and say, God, I don't want to be like that anymore. From this day forward, please change my priorities. I want to yield to you as my King, as a, the King of all creation. And right where you are, just tell Him that. You know what things have replaced Him as a priority. Just confess it. Maybe it's a love for a particular thing in your life. Maybe it's a a broken dream that you're holding on to. Maybe it's a, um, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's your family. 
Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a parent. But they're the priority in your life and not Yahweh. Just own that with Him right now. Father, hear our hearts that we, we, we don't want to be people that run away from You, that don't follow You. And I know there's a lot of guys here who have different pulls on their life and maybe they, they're upset, maybe they're discouraged. I pray that You would strengthen them to, to change their priorities. To say, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I don't know what that looks like. I want to know. I want to get back in your word. I want to read your word. I want you to teach me. Bring guys around me to help me understand it and to walk with you. We love you, Father. Thank you for reminding us through your servant Haggai of the call to have the right priorities in our life. Amen.